This is the Trivium Dad Podcast. My name is Nick, and welcome. Dearest listeners, I'm here to ask for your support, not your financial support. It would be great if you could donate. It would help support the Trivium Dad podcast and Upward Enrichment Service. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, then leave a review because it will help other people find the show. And two, tell a friend about the show. Or better yet, tell a whole bunch of friends. Thank you. This program may contain strong languages and topics that might not be suitable for all listeners. So if you listen to episode one of the Trivium Diet podcast, I kind of spoke about my humble upbringing. And I want to make it clear that I had many friends, families, co-workers and acquaintances that you know, grew up and they had harder lives. I was very fortunate. So when you look at the spectrum of rich and poor, I feel pretty blessed because I guess, you know, I just think that looking back, everything that my parents was able to provide me, you know, we didn't have much, but I was able to go to Catholic school and get a great education I started off going to school uh, in pre-K. I just knew when I was remembering the times when my parents would just, you know, try to make sure that I had books that I had when it comes to making sure I had all of the educational tools when I was three or four years old, I know they did their best. And I had many advantages. I had two parents that were loving. They were not formally educated because they came from Guyana. They had less than a high school education. And I'm just, you know, I think back to all that they did for me and I'm very grateful When you look at income disparity, the increased use of technology, inflation, student loans, increased rent, and stagnant wages, you know, it has created a larger gap in children in urban and rural areas participating in enrichment activities. And it's just a growing class gulf in spending on children enrichment programs, programs like sports, summer camp, piano lessons, and trips to the zoo, for instance. As the upper middle class grows richer and larger, it is spending extraordinarily large sums of money to enhance its kids' experience and education, while other children have to do with much less. The affluent, the top 1% of this country spends close to 
$6,600 compared to lower income folks that spend probably $700 a year putting their kids in summer camp or piano lessons or tutoring. And all of this plays a role in, you know, how their future is going to be shaped. I want to play an audio clip from Robert Putnam. He is a retired Harvard professor and the author of the bestseller, Our Kids, The American Dream in Crisis, which chronicles the growing class gap among American youths. Is fully formed by the time they get to school. Um, now, I want to be careful. I don't say, and, 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 the, and that the reason is because so many things are going on in those very early years, like your parents reading to you or not. And we know now from the recent brain science that those things, if your parents read to you, that has a powerful effect on your, on your brain development. The most consistent feature, actually, of the lives of poor kids in America now is that they are alone, in part because they live in very unstable families. So most, two-thirds of all kids growing up in high school-educated homes in America have, are, single, are in single-parent homes. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that a single mom can't do a good job of, of raising kids. Of course, many do, but the challenges are much greater in a single-parent home, and, and therefore many of these kids don't even have good support from their parents. But they're also disconnected from schools, from religious communities, from neighbors, from mentors, from coaches, because they're increasingly they're no longer involved in sports activities. So they're alone, really alone, and deeply distrustful of everybody. One of the young women that we, whose story we tell in the book posted on Facebook just actually a couple of months ago, love hurts, trust kills. Think what it means it's to grow up in a world in which you can't trust anybody. And what goes along with that is these kids don't have adults in their lives, or they have many, many fewer adults in their lives than, than, than rich kids do, who can help guide them and say, you know, that's the right math course to take. Or, you know, probably you ought not to, you know, stay out every night, all night. Or if you get in trouble, they're not able to help you. You know, the fundamental feature of being a kid is you get in trouble. All kids, rich kids, poor kids, black kids, white kids get in trouble. But if a kid coming from a well-educated home gets in trouble, you know, they get involved with drugs or they get drunk or they bang the car up or they have a trouble problem at school or whatever, instantly airbags inflate to protect our kids, kids coming from college-educated homes. But the same thing, if the same exact thing happens to a poor kid, no airbags. No airbags, pretty powerful in which I think when it comes to when you look at the opportunity gaps between the rich and the poor, it's like, you know, there's no safety net. You're going to fall and you're going to fall hard if you're not coming from parents that have formal education that make uh, a certain income level that, you know, well, you know, they have a social network in which they could connect you to those mentors, uh, the mentors that, you know, you could find in church or in a professional network that your parents may be a part of. It's really disheartening to know. And, you know, I read Robert Putnam's book, 
I really recommend it for every parent to read this book. And it talks about, you know, there's two terrors in America, the rich and the poor. And to kind of go into what uh, this book is about quickly, I'm not going to, I'll probably dedicate another podcast to this book along with Annette LaRose book. And it really just shows in the 1970s, the rich and poor, they used to live together in the same neighborhoods. So there wasn't a disconnect. Everybody was together and they went to the same schools. They participated in the same sports. It was just easy access for everything. They, when it came to climbing that economic ladder, America was the land of opportunities and parents, you know, they, it was just a community that was close knit and social class didn't really matter. Then as the late 1970s came about class based segregation or social apartheid, the rich, the affluent, they started to move away and build new communities as travel became more easy due to newly created highway systems. And in the workforce, as productivity increased, wage did not keep up with inflation. The people that benefited from the productivity and the profit made was the top 1% of earners. And the crumbs went to the bottom 90% of workers. So now you started to see this increase in inequality. And the affluent, they had college education. They married in their social class. They had lower divorce rates. They tend to have children later on in life as they plan to advance in their career first. They were already planning to save for their children's college and they had college funds ready for them. And they made sure that their children had structured life in which their time was organized uh, strategically to make sure that they had access to enrichment activities. And guess what? The inverse was true for poor people. They became less educated. Children came from single family households. Incarceration rate skyrocketed. And they were working in low paying and menial jobs, living paycheck to paycheck. And they had an unstable family structure. And it was due to the inherent stress of having to worry about money. And how were you going to make ends meet? And their children didn't have the stable household, a parent that was consistent. When it came to being disciplined, it was more, you know, they wanted their children to be obedient and not to question them. It became of more negative reinforcements than anything else. And the rich they did the complete opposite. They, they wanted their children to think critically, to question 
when their children made errors, they didn't talk down to them. They just asked questions like, why do you think this is right versus why do you think this is wrong? They had dinner every night at the table. So that led to conversations and families uh, interacting. Rich people, they read to their children when they're toddlers. They read to them every night because they have the time. Because their college education afforded them better jobs or professional careers. And they could make sure that if one parent was working, the other parent was there. And they would read them Goodnight Moon. And the research is there to show that when you're reading to your children at a young age, your vocabulary increase exponentially. You know, when you're working two jobs, how can you find time to read? Your bandwidth is very limited because you just are burnt out. Poor people, they tend to have more single-family households in which, you know, moms are raising children. And that, you know, there's a lot of moms that are doing a great job, single moms. I know a couple single moms, and they're awesome. They're in their child's life, and they're doing the best they can. But how could they compete with the money, with the access, with the educational systems based on what neighborhood you live in because the good schools are in the good neighborhoods. It's, it's becoming very disturbing to see that this trend, if continued, will not only affect poor people, but it's going to affect rich people because society will start to erode. How could we continue to prosper if we're if there's such an opportunity gap and the benefits of enrichment activities offers opportunities to children to learn the value of teamwork, competition, individual and group interactions, physical strength and endurance, competition and a sense of community. It also gives a sense of belongingness and positive future outlooks, which produces outcomes not only in adolescence, but when they become teenagers and they're ready for college. And it gives them an emotional well-being. And when you don't have these opportunities, students could you know, be disengaged from school and community activities. And this could lead to school dropout rates, self-destructive behaviors. You know, it even could be to the extreme where it could lead to suicide attempts. I want to play another clip from Annette LaRoe, who is a sociologist working in the University of Pennsylvania. She talks about concerted cultivation the style of parenting. I'll play that clip right now. Class children tended to be busy. Um, they often had many organized activities that were structured by adults. Although they were allegedly for fun and for leisure, they were in many ways like school. 
there were adults yelling and telling them what to do. They're saying, light up here, do this, do that. And so soccer, ballet, choir, um, Sunday school, jazz, all these different lessons that kids had were part of what we called organized activities. Well, the working class children uh, had many important skills. They could play outside by themselves. They had more autonomy. They were much nicer to their siblings than the middle class families. And they had a way of having creativity and autonomy that the middle class kids didn't have. But the middle class kids had skills that were valued by schools and other institutions. They learned how to interact with people in positions of authority. They learned to be extremely organized from their organized activities. They learned how to negotiate with people. They learned how to use language. And because those skills are valued in schools and jobs, the middle class kids had advantages that the working class and poor kids did not have. And those advantages, you know, proves to lead to better outcomes. It becomes a cycle. So if you know how to negotiate, you know how to use language, you learn how to follow instructions, you start to gain confidence and you start to become a leader and you start to know what the rules of the game is. That's the value of enrichment activities is that it gives you a better shot to be uh, successful to achieve your goals. It gives you a pathway into college. And college is very important, as I mentioned previously, because the, when you start to earn higher degrees, an undergraduate degree, a graduate degree, a Ph.D., your income level goes up. Your unemployment rate goes down. You will earn probably a million dollars more in your lifetime versus a high school graduate. You will have better opportunities. You'll be able to take more risk. When it comes to not worrying about the stress of the day-to-day life, you start to acquire wealth savings account, a Roth IRA, you start to pay on your mortgage and you build equity in your house and you have a car. This creates a pathway for your children, a cycle that even their children will have a family wealth that they have no doubt in their mind that they're going to college and that they have all the opportunities from a social network that they're going to they're going to make it again it's a two-tier system and it just seems like it's so hard to break through especially if you live in neighborhoods that don't have good school systems where you don't have a choice or where you send your kids it's for me my children I was more hands-on, my wife and I, and when my, I live in Jamaica, Queens, and I sent my sons to PS121, a great school. It's ran, the principal did a great job during her tenure, the administration, PS121, uh, it was, I think it was just a stellar school, and I didn't, I don't live in a rich neighborhood, I live in a neighborhood, if you know Queens, New York, it's one of the most diverse counties in the whole United States. So you see all types of ethnicities, 
all types of cultures. And that's what was are reflected in the classroom in which my children not only learned from the curriculum, but they had friends that represented you know, all parts of the world. But my concern was middle school and high school. I was already thinking ahead. I did the middle school application. My son at the time, he was graduating from fifth grade. I had another son in fourth grade. We, I applied to all the schools that was outside of my district. I'm in District 28, and I applied to Scholars Academy. I applied to Nest. I applied to, you name it, I did it. You know, I had my supervisor, Dr. Yates, and I spoke to him. I was like, I want to try to get my son in a great school. Dr. Yates was very generous. He said, Nick, bring your son in one day, and I'll prep him for the middle school interview. I was stoked. I was like, wow, that's so generous of you. And I brought him in, and Dr. Yates had a resume in which he worked in a competitive middle school, so he knew what the middle school was was looking for. They were looking for children that they would look at your child the minute they get out the car and the minute they walk into the building. They looked at how the child dressed and did the parents come with the child. Dr. Yates did two mock interviews with him. During, I guess, a month and a half stretch, my son got into Scholars Academy. Now, Scholars Academy, from where I live, Scholars Academy is in Far Rockaway, Queens. That is a 10-mile distance from where I live to where this great school is located at. So every morning, uh, I would get up early, and it's been... This is going on my third year. My older son now is in ninth grade. He's still going to Scholars Academy because he just loves this school. Even though we applied to competitive high schools, you know, he's, he wanted to be there. And a lot of his friends got accepted to like Stuyvesant and Brooklyn Tech. And they still ended up wanting to stay at Scholars Academy. Getting up seven in the morning, making sure my kids is in the car, driving one hour to drop them off every morning. It takes, a, it takes a toll on you as a parent because then you got to worry about getting ready for work. I have no doubt I'll make the right decisions. I know it's hard, but I'm willing to do that. I shared that story because I'm fortunate enough to do that. There's a lot of families that are not. Could you imagine a single mom raising her child, how she has to worry about going to work, How can she focus on anything else other than, you know, making sure that bills are paid, making sure there's food on the table? That's where, you know, I see American society being, you know, it's the haves and the have nots. It's, you know, very, it's very unfortunate. This is not the 1950s anymore where you see white picketed fences and you just say, You know, you have every opportunity to make a life if you work hard. That's not the case anymore. It boils down to what school did you go to? What is your work history? Who do you know? Because really, when it comes to your professional career, what matters 
the most is your professional network. Do people like you? Do they feel comfortable around you? That's where, that's where it is. You know, when you have less than a high school education, you, you're working a job that you just hate. You're working for minimum wage. You just turn to whatever is going to make you happy. And a lot of people, you know, unfortunately, they turn to drugs. You know, they look for relationships in which they they have kids. Like they, you know, people don't care. People think that children could bring meaning to life, but kids require a lot. They're expensive. They need, you know, to go to the doctor and they need to... You know, they just need a lot. People just can't handle it, so they they just get out of the situation. They don't care about the kid. Children are living in households where nobody gives a damn about them. They have to take care of themselves, and, you know, they got to, they got to, they don't have anybody to advise them. They can't go to anybody because, again, when you're marrying the same social class, you know, you're not going to have a rich uncle or auntie that's a history professor who's going to tell you about college. You're not going to be able to go to your high school counselor who has a 400 to 1 caseload. Who do you turn to? These kids are depressed. They're hungry, literally hungry, because one out of five children don't have food in their house. It's, you know, it's sad just thinking about it. To go back to the, you know, enrichment activities, you know, I just want to make an opportunity because I know what the positive and negative benefits of participating in sports or when it comes to summer camps or martial arts, gymnastics, archery, bowling, Baseball, softball, basketball. The only time these children may even have an opportunity is if they're naturally gifted and a coach sees something in them and they could probably participate in high school sports. And that could, and if they're good enough, they could be the rose that grows out of the concrete. And they could, you know, if they're great at what they do, they could get a scholarship to go to college. And that could break them out of out of the rut, out of the life that they hate. Because the neighborhoods that poor kids walk in is dangerous. A lot of drug activities, killings. Uh, they see stuff that you probably couldn't even imagine that you wouldn't even be able to see in a scary movie. It's all about it's all about how could we, you know, help make this an even playing field? How could we remove the opportunity gaps? How could we help people strive to achieve wealth? The benefits of participating in enrichment activities when it comes to health, you know, your, your child will not be obese they won't have any weight issues because they're running around and they're sweating. 
more than likely they're going to eat right because they want to keep in shape so that they could have more stamina, develop strength and muscle. They're less likely to engage in smoking or drinking or using any kind of illegal substance, vaping. You know, they're learning and developing gross motor skills. You know, there's a reduction in the suicide rates when you participate in enrichment activities for teenage boys and girls. The social well-being, because they're developing friends. Nobody's judging you when you're, when you're participating in sports. You know, it's really, let's accomplish the goal. It doesn't matter where you come from. We're all human beings. You know, there's a better, you do better when it comes to time management, leadership, teamwork, critical thinking, and emotional intelligence. There's a direct link between participating in enrichment activities and improvement in academic performance in school. Now, the benefits, there are some negatives and, you know, and everything you have to look at both sides of the equation. You know, when you participate in sports, sometimes you could get hurt and that could lead to medical costs. And if you come from a poor family, you know, you got to you got to consider buying equipment. Sneakers and cleats, baseball bats. Everything from uniforms and books. And registration courses and tuition, it all adds up. If you structure a kid's life too much, you could cause a lot of stress and anxiety because children are performing at a high competitive level dependent of their participating in high school sports. And it could create a sense of entitlement and, you know, potential disrespectful behaviors towards authority figures. Those are things to think about, but overall is a direct correlation between going to school, participating in enrichment programs and Doing well in life. Education matters. You can't get a good job if you don't have a college education. When you go to college, you're going to meet people from all walks of life. And you start to build a social network. And a lot of times you find your wife when you're in college. So more likely than not, you're going to have the same financial trajectory because you're doing pretty much the same thing. You have the same goals. When it comes to this two-tier system, this is this is disturbing. You know, with Upward Enrichment Service, when I created this, uh, one of the things I wanted to do was to create a scholarship. Now, I'm not a rich person. I'm using my life savings to fund this and Oh, and, you know, financing this business is pretty lean, so I don't spend money unless I absolutely need to, but I sort of need to create a scholarship. And then the first year I created a $100 scholarship opportunity, and I put it out there. And I'm proud that I was able to award $100 to the winner. 
And I hope that the money did a little bit of good. I mean, $100 given inflation, you know, bag of groceries could cost you easily $100. And then you go home and you're like, what did I buy? There's nothing here. So when you come and when I played that Annette LaRoe clip, that's what parents do. It's concerted cultivation. They try to foster their child's talent by incorporating organized activities. So you're going to go to school and after school, you're going to make sure that you go participate in the chess team. Every Wednesdays, I'm going to take you to piano lessons. And on the weekend, I'm going to take you to your basketball camp. I want to make sure that you're doing well in school. So I'm going to be uh, talking to your teachers on the computer, on these chat apps and pupil path. And I'm going to ask, are you doing well? I'm going to check your folder to make sure you're, you're getting the right grades. I'm going to make sure you read at night. That's what rich people do. I'm going to make sure you're hanging out with the right friends. I'm just going to question everything that's happening in your life. And I'm going to make sure that I'm around. I'm going to be a helicopter parent. And I'm going to make sure that you're doing everything that is necessary to make you win. When you come from the other side of town, you don't have any of that. Nobody cares if you go to school. Nobody cares what your grades are. It's You're all by yourself. And you're looking around and you're lost. You don't know where to turn. And you just start to hate everybody. You don't trust anybody. You don't know what to do. Your mind is not even developed yet when you're a kid. But you're so, you become so negative. When you have this negative behavior, how could you have a smile on your face? Why would people want to be friendly with you? Because you're always going to look aggressive. You're always going to look like you want to You want to take somebody's head off. You're not going to be pleasant. You're not going to want to socialize because socializing is important. And if you do socialize, it's going to be with people you shouldn't be socializing with. Gang members. People that got no aspirations. They're smoking weed and they're drinking every day. They're on the corner on the block. You see this. I told you in the first episode when I was a kid, there was crack vials on the sidewalk, just littered on the sidewalk. These kids are seeing worse. They're seeing people getting murdered. This is their environment that they're living in. So you got a lot of people, a lot of children that are just naturally smart gifted and talented but they just don't have the direction they just don't have any navigation to to tell them what to do what is right what is wrong they have
have nobody to tell them you need to study for your SATs. They don't give a damn about the SATs. They just don't know what's going to happen the next day. Could be living with an abusive father or a mother that's not around. And this is why I believe that upward enrichment service is is important. Because I have three boys and I realize I wasn't doing everything right as well. I, I just didn't know. I just started to read a lot of books about parenting, a lot of articles. I just, I just knew because of what I saw in my life from the friends I had, from the people I encountered, from working and meeting all kinds of children. I wanted to, I wanted to do something to help in whatever little way I could. And this is why I believe the benefits of enrichment activities is critical because it gives them an opportunity to find a mentor, to find somebody that cares for them, that will put them under their wing, that will point them in the right direction, that will give them an opportunity to help them learn how to situate a financial aid package, someone that will help write a recommendation letter for them. Who are these people going to be? I think we all need to do our part because if we don't, the social gap, this class-based segregation will affect us all and we're all going to suffer. Follow us on social media, U-E-S-N-Y-S Check out the website UESNYS.com Give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Thank you for listening